Okay, cowboy, here's the odds. The time has come. Time for adventure. It's nail-biting time again. And this time, this time, this time with a vengeance. This time, it's personal. It couldn't possibly get any worse. This time, it's personal again. Welcome to Attack of the Third. I'm your host, Night Owl Joe. And I'm Dave. You can find me on Twitter at Darn That Dave. And I love that you start the show where it says, this time it's personal again. <laughs> uh, I like it. I'm a fan of that. It you know stems from my deep affinity for absurd taglines for right. ridiculous sequels. Especially considering this is our first episode. I like that there's an again in there. <laughs> <laughs> well, we are starting off uh, our you know pilot episode here with a movie from my childhood, Critters 3. I am so sorry. <laughs> uh, so what people I think should know about the start of this show was that I said this as a joke. Like we had, we planned to do this show and you know, Joe wanted to do this, you know, third movie thing for some reason. And I was like, whatever. I love the sound of my own voice. I'd love to be on another podcast. I don't care what it's about. Sure. Let's do it. Yeah. And then I was like using this as an example saying like, we don't have to only do like really good movies or really good um, film trilogies. We could do, bullshit like critters three and then he immediately was like that's our first episode i was like god me and my big fucking mouth here we are critters three baby i i was uh, i was excited by that not because of the quality of the film or that it would be fun to revisit <laughs> but because i personally have a lot of history with this movie actually oh. and i i figured that would be uh fun to cover at some point during the episode all right i'm looking forward to that because i don't know what that history is i'm a little I'm a little concerned. I have to. I have to be real. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy! But yeah, uh, I I actually got this on Blu-ray. Um, I got the whole box set on Blu-ray from Shout Factory. And <laughs> talk about movies that don't demand high <laughs> high quality releases. Like there's all these great movies that like you can't get on physical media, like Strange yeah. Days. But yeah. there's a Critters box set. Thank God. <laughs> Oh, God, I dodged a bullet there, or, or, or took one, depending on how you yes. look at it. So I, I think we should talk about. I think we should get the history stuff out of the way. Okay. Mine will be much shorter. Okay. So I'll start, and I also want to tell people since this is our first episode, I promise I'm not this negative. I'm probably going to come off negative in this episode. I like movies. I swear to God, uh, just not Critters Three. But uh, Critters is a franchise that I have almost no history with. Um, did not see as a kid. Did not see as a teenager um i think like i knew what it was uh <laughs> and i was raised in one of those families that like you didn't watch r-rated movies like i don't think right. i saw an r-rated movie to my parents knowledge uh until i was like you know eighth grade ninth grade somewhere <laughs> around there um i of course did sneak off and see r-rated movies but they didn't know that and hopefully uh my mom isn't listening to this to this show and she'll find out all these all these terrible things about me but i remember seeing like commercials for this previews for this people talking about it and i remember thinking as a kid like this looks scary right um especially for someone who hadn't like watched a bunch of horror movies or anything like that. Mm -hmm. And then I decided uh, last year that I was going to watch the Critters movies. So I downloaded all of them and I made it through the first two. Uh, and I thought, yeah, that was fine. 
Uh, that was okay. Yeah. I had a good yeah. time. Uh, I don't care what the creator of this uh, of this creature says. Uh, this is blatantly stolen from Gremlins. Like yeah. I just, there's no way he says the characters were created before that movie came out. Uh, and I'm sorry, but of I, course I, you would say that, you know. Sorry, yes. That, what, what else you say? Like, yes, I stole it. Um, like, sorry, I don't believe you. Uh, there's no way. And there's there's so there's so much overlap, not only in the fact that they're like tiny little creatures that terrorize, but just some things that are done in these movies that I'm like, mm, OK, you did you did Gremlins in space. OK, cool. Um, that's fine. Um, and then for some reason, I stopped after the first two. It's like it's like my brain was protecting me, Joe, is because I, I liked the first two. I enjoyed that. I mean, they're not, I wouldn't call them like great movies by any stretch of the imagination, but they know what they are. Yeah. And they're, they're a good time. They're very yeah. silly. They're very, uh, very over the top, you know, that doesn't demand great acting or anything like that. It's very, very, you know, kind of nuts. Uh, and then just stopped. Uh, still had the copy of, of Critters three on my hard drive. Uh, lucky me. Uh, I got to watch it for, uh, for <laughs> attack of the third. Um, so that is my, that is my history kind of going in, uh, to Critters three, uh, which is, I assume was your favorite movie as a kid, Critters three. No, I was, I was relatively, uh, <laughs> no, <laughs> uh, ambivalent towards it. Um, I, I didn't care one way or the other about Critters three or four for the most part. See, here's the thing. Uh, I grew up watching, um, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie. And when Raphael okay. uh, goes to the movies, he sees Critters. Ah, uh, that's true. Yep. And, mm-hmm. and and by the way, none of these movies are R-rated. They're all PG-13. Hmm. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Just like, just like uh, Gremlin should have been. Maybe? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so this was, this is definitely riding that coattail there. Um, <laughs> but so I always grew up wondering if that was a real movie or was it just something that, you know, like they mocked up for. Oh, for God, a better Ninja world, Turtles. a better world if this is just made up by TMNT. But sadly, no. I I ended up renting Critters at one point. I was like, oh, my God, it exists. And. I loved it. Like it, the bounty hunters, the sense of humor, all the, the <laughs> special effects is a fun time. And it, it leaned more to the sci-fi element than um, gremlins did, which appealed to me personally more as a kid. Cause I was always more into sci-fi than fantasy. Um, so like the fact that they were from outer space, you know, there was my hill to die on like critters is better. Yo, like <laughs> eat me. And oh, of course Jesus, I grew child. up, I grew up. Okay. Like <laughs> somewhat, <laughs> But uh, I, I still I still hold a special place in my heart for Critters. Now, here's, here's the history part. When video stores were transitioning from DVD to VHS, they were purging their VHS inventory. And I was snatching up some, like, obscure classics, which is what 12-year-old me would have classified them as classics. <laughs> um, and I, I got some old-school movies that were really fun. I got, like, RoboCop on VHS, my science project. And then I got Critters... And I found Critters at one location, Critters 2 at another location. And at that point, I had to have all four. And I had never seen three and four before, but I made my dad drive me all over the damn state to find video stores that had three and four so that I could purchase them. God, your poor abuse family. (laughs) I know. So I spent a lot of time and a lot of gas money out of my father's pocket (laughs) finding Critters 3 and 4. And to this day, I still have all four movies on VHS. So, so this is a little off topic, but can you explain to me the 
the desire, the need, the obsession with owning VHS. Like you said, you still have them. And this, yes. this confuses me. Like I'm, and to be fair, I'm a person who owns vinyl. Right. Um, but there's like, there's a sound quality thing there, right? right? Like, yeah, yeah. and clearly, uh, hopefully clearly, maybe I'm wrong, but to me, clearly, uh, Blu-ray, 4K, all that kind mm-hmm. of stuff outstrips VHS in every way, including right. storage space. So right. tell me, tell me what the reasoning for, I've always wondered, because I know a lot of people do this. Mm-hmm. Uh, weirdly, they're all horror fans. So maybe that's a connection. Uh, but what is the obsession with the, the VHS? And why not Betamax? Come on. Um, part of it's nostalgia, like Betamax was the weird cousin to VHS that everybody said was superior, but nobody like seemed to own, you know, <laughs> true um, story. <laughs> you, don't, you don't collect VHS for picture quality, you know? Um, okay. so part of it's definitely nostalgia. Like you, you grew up, you seeing these things in the video stores, they had cool cover art and stuff and all this. And then around like 2003, when a lot of these movies started getting re-released on DVD, they had these really bland, like photoshopped covers, and you just had like the actor's face and some like shitty title font, and it was like, you know, well, you're you're butchering my boy here. What are you doing? Like, come on. And I think that's that's part of it. And like the further we get from VHS, like the more we get obsessed with like picture quality, and it's like I, I've you can imagine how many times I've double dipped for Terminator Two. Okay, like. I, yeah, I, I can probably list the differences in the transfers by heart at this point, but there's something a little bit liberating going back to a VHS, knowing it's going to be shitty. You're not worried about the picture quality. You're not worried about the sound quality. You know, it's shit. You know, it's going to be shit. And you're just watching the movie. Cause like this, this was good for people for about like, a, you know, over a decade and a half. So it's definitely liberating to just put on a movie that you probably grew up with and you watch it the way you grew up with it. Because, you know, Critter, like you said, Critters doesn't really benefit all that much from a Blu-ray, you know, copy. It's a movie that's <laughs> very rooted in nostalgia for a lot of people. So for some, definitely, VHS is that perfect marriage of, uh, you know, nostalgia and, and format quality. Okay. All right. Fair enough. I got you. That makes sense. Um, so honestly, I got to be real with you. There's one reason to watch this movie and one reason only, and most people know it already. This is the screen debut of one of the greatest actors <laughs> of our generation. Yes. Believe it or not. Like I was, you know, uh, this is uh, Leonardo DiCaprio's uh, big screen debut, I guess, you know, post growing pains, I guess. Um, and You know, it's interesting because I'm trying to figure out, am I seeing something that isn't there? Because I'm watching his performance and by no means is it a great acting performance, but it feels like there's something there. Like it feels like you can, there's a star quality to him. And of course, it's hard to know if that's real because I look and I see Leo and I'm like, oh yeah, that's the guy who became an Oscar winning actor at this point now. So it's hard to kind of tease those things apart. But did you see that when you were watching this for the podcast? Yes, I did, actually. And I I think it's interesting you bring that up, because if you compare his performance, he must have been like, what, 12 years old, maybe, to a lot of other 12-year-olds. Those 12-year-olds are, it's very clear they are acting a part, you know? And even at 12 years old, he just seemed like he it was natural for him. It was natural for him uh, in in a role, in any role. He wasn't a 12-year-old playing a 12-year-old. He was just a 12-year-old. 
it's that same kind of quality that the kids in the Goonies have. It's the same kind of quality that mm-hmm. Spielberg was able to draw out of other young actors. And here, you know, I assume there wasn't uh, a, a great effort put in uh, by the, the filmmakers to really, because I mean, they knew what they were making. They had to share <laughs> the budget from this movie with the next movie. And these were direct to video. So like, I don't think there was any, you know, illusions about what they were making. Right. But Leo, you know, he was uh, almost effortless in his role here. And I think if, if something like stranger things had been made back then, he would have been an easy pick for that kind of role precisely because he has that X factor, you know, that, that quality where it's just, you know, he feels natural on screen. Yeah, yeah. I think that's a really good point. You definitely see that like from the very first, his very first appearance, like, you know, nothing against, um, what was it, Amy Brooks, yeah. uh, who played the lead character, who was fine, just a fine child actor. Uh, like nothing terrible there. It's like, there are certainly terrible child actors and she's not one of them. But when you put her in scenes with Leonardo DiCaprio, you're like, oh yeah, one of these is an actor. Yeah. Like capital A actor, like is going to be great. And you can definitely see it. I also find myself wondering, we are in a very, this is our pilot episode. Uh-huh. We've done kind of a couple test runs, but this right. is our first one for the public. I wonder if this is going to be the biggest step down in quality from two to from two to three that we get. Uh, because this is like i mean it's easy to be like all oh, those critters movies they suck they're oh, there's no budget blah 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 sure right. there's no budget for these movies they weren't designed uh necessarily to be like seen on the big screen in thx or anything like that right. but the first two movies are are solid b movies right. they're driving they're, they're, yeah exactly absolutely and they're totally enjoyable mm-hmm. and they take place in this you know in this little town and then there's bits on the spaceship and all that good stuff right. and this one uh strangely uh it made me think of <laughs> not not comparing them to these movies at all because these movies are much better yeah. but it reminded me of like uh the raid and uh dread yeah. where it's like all in one building yes uh, and you're just kind of working your way through like there's some bits in the beginning where they're on their way back because of course they have to pick up the like green gooey eggs or whatever to bring them to this apartment complex but but the rest of it all takes place there and it just became so obvious to me that they're like we don't have any money uh, yeah. So, yeah. so there's going to be no sets. There's going to be no gigantic set pieces. We're just going to work our way to the roof uh, by the end of the movie. Yeah. And then we'll have kind of our biggest moment there. And even for a cheap movie, it looks cheap. Does that make sense? Oh, like, yeah. even even though I knew what I was getting into, like, to like, I just want to make it clear. I was not walking into this thinking I was going to get something as high quality as even like uh, like a good horror movie, like a Halloween, right? Something with a little bit of money behind it or someone behind the camera who knew how to use money in a way that made the movie look like it was worth something on screen. I knew it was going to be trashy. I knew it was not going to have a bunch of professional actors except for Leo. You knew that going in and yet somehow with the bar on the floor, I was still disappointed by this movie. I was still like, this is some bullshit. Like maybe about five 
six times in this movie. I was like rolling my eyes and thinking like, God damn, Joe, like if, <laughs> if this, if we were not watching this for a podcast, I honestly don't know if I would have finished it. Yeah, like I might've just like, I mean, not even like turning it off in anger, but just kind of like walked away from it. Cause it wasn't engaging. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it was just kind of like there's, you know, there's a couple fun moments with the critters, right. you know, kind of going nuts, going haywire. But that like, honestly, if you add it up, like, what is that? Like 15 minutes of the movie? Yeah. Of like the actual action bits with the critters. The rest is like family drama. Yeah. And uh, does OK, I won't say none of it, but does any of it land for you? Any of the like, you know, the widow dad, you know, not connecting with his kids. Does any of that work for you? <laughs> I think it's interesting because I'm looking at my notes here. It's something I do when I, when I, you know, so I have talking points when I bring up Do you up think a you're the first person to take notes on Critters no, 3? No, I, I, oh, well, you know, maybe. That's, that's I really think they even had script there. notes. I mean, I think you were the first person to write anything down. I mean, I'm sure there are articles there, out there because right? horror websites, you know, yeah. make a great deal of click money uh, based sure. on trashy, crappy movies. So I'm sure someone has before, but you are certainly the first person I've ever met and will continue to talk to that has taken notes on Critters 3. Well, I will, I will read this note verbatim here, and I, I, I just jotted down failure of parental competency? Question mark. <laughs> recurring theme of genre, time <laughs> era? Question mark. And yeah. it's interesting because uh, I don't know about interesting, but maybe coincidental. That was also a very big theme in New Line Cinema's other movies, uh, like especially the Freddy Krueger series. Parents are always lit up or alcoholics or they just straight up don't believe their children. And I think maybe the writer or director was trying to take a stab at that same kind of pathos mm-hmm. here because they knew that they didn't have the budget to beef up the rest of the movie. So they were I think they were trying to, you know, create some compelling drama there. Mm-hmm. But I mean, that's, you know, using a bucket to scoop out water of a sinking ship. <laughs> and I, I'm, I'm very sort of, I think, empathetic to their situation because, you know, you, you get a call from New Line Cinema to direct Critters 3 and you're like, oh, fantastic. You know, the first two were fun. Well, let me see what I can do here. They're like, you have to share your budget with the fourth one. <laughs> they're like, oh, and they're not coming out in theaters. They're going to VHS. And you just like get knocked down a peg and another and another. And you're like, well, shit. Right. I think that there's, I think the director, uh, she definitely tried to do some things within the confines of the budget that were clever. I did notice that. Like when the critters are watching TV, it's a Julia Child's cooking show. And she's like mm-hmm. deboning a chicken as they eat this guy, you know, off screen. Leg bones out, both from the legs and the wing side. And they waited for that push the bones through and then take there's the ball joint of your little bits like that i felt were authentically you know amusing but for the most part yeah i mean not much of the drama or you know character moments really landed I don't think yeah. they had the weight for it, you know? Yeah, it's interesting that you bring up the the parenting thing. Like, definitely that is a, a big piece of the horror genre in general. Um, it's also a big piece of the time 
time. So this was yeah. this came out in 91. So I, th- I think we can assume this was shooting in 89 or 90, probably. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, and who is the big who do you think is the biggest director of the 1980s? Like just Spielberg. Right. Yeah. Right. And what does Spielberg deal with? You know, latchkey kids, mm-hmm. broken homes, yeah. split up parents, all this stuff. So this is really kind of tying into that. And it's frankly, at, at this point in 1991, it feels like it feels like kind of a cheap shortcut. It feels yeah. like kind of an easy like, well, we can get away with anything because the parents aren't around. Right. Uh, so and it, it just feels a little cheap. And I was actually just looking at uh, at this director, Christine Peterson, and what in a short but interesting career. That she had. So she worked on the crew of Apocalypse Now. Um, She was the second unit director um, of both Tremors and Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. That makes a lot of sense. It does, especially Tremors. I think that's uh, pretty clear. Um, And of course, she directed this movie, but she also directed stuff like body chemistry, like these really (laughs) like cheap like you know sexual thrillers Mm -hmm. uh you know and she did silk stockings eden uh did some action stuff like the hard truth like what a weird weird career like it just and i think it it points to the fact that i mean this is still kind of true now unfortunately Mm -hmm. that female directors aren't given opportunities necessarily to do passion projects instead it's like whatever anyone else didn't want to do so they're like i want to be a director this is my shot so you jump at the chance to do critters three because you got you know they're gonna let you be behind the camera of course they'll give you eight dollars to make it but (laughs) (laughs) but you can you can actually be behind the camera so it does make me wonder if if this woman was given like an actual budget and I don't know, like an actual crew and some real actors, if there was something that she could do, because you're right. There are some, like, there are some interesting choices made um, both with the physicality of the movie. Like there is a, there's a scene with one of like, kind of, I guess the lead adult female character, you know, like falling off the roof and getting tied up and, you know, dangling for most of the third act. And it's, and it's a very interesting choice because it takes other than the father, it takes the one adult character who is two things. She's capable uh-huh. Um, and she cares about our lead characters, right. right? And removes her, but it removes her in both like an action sense, but it also makes it comedic, uh, right. which I think is her trying to tie herself to what this movie is, but it also doesn't kind of make sense for that character in particular. There are other characters that you're like, if something stupid and comedic were to happen to them, you're like, okay, I get it. You know, that that makes sense with that character, like the, you know, the woman in the beginning who's like doing doing her laundry and throwing her stuff down the chute. Like if something silly happens to her, like, okay, that is what that character's for. But it's like she felt the need. Okay, I have to remove this character because she's too capable. Yeah, Um, she might actually be able to do something about this. So we got to remove her. And I felt like there's got to be a better way to do that than to just dangle her off a roof for the last 35 minutes of the movie. I wonder if there was. I wonder if uh, they had more ideas and, you know. But no money. Yeah, they simply (laughs) outstripped their budget. Because it it does seem kind of like something that was like a last resort. They're like, oh, you know, well, we can't do this entire set piece. We can't do that entire set piece. So what are we going to do with this character? And, you know, out of sheer frustration, she probably said, well, we'll chuck her off the roof, you know. 
Right. Um, right. Although personally speaking, you know, uh, I would have sent the dad off the roof because God, he was annoying. He sucks. Yeah. I, I do think <laughs> the movie also did a really good job of very quickly setting the stage with this kind of archive footage of one and two. Uh-huh. Um, I think they did a really good job and that's not something a lot of horror movies do a good job at. Sometimes there's an expectation that you've seen these movies, but this of course is like straight to video and very cheaply made. So they're like, you might not have seen Critters 1 and Critters 2. And you don't need to sit through that. We can just show you that in two minutes. And I thought, I thought they actually did a really good job with that piece of it. Like, I think you get yeah. enough of it. And I actually really liked the scene in the beginning where they kind of reintroduced this character from the first two movies, like mm-hmm. popping out of the popping out of the earth, scaring the hell out of these kids uh, <laughs> yeah. and their interaction. Yeah. I think really works. Like, actually, yeah. that might be my favorite part of the movie. Uh, is before the critters actually even show up, uh, yeah. which is probably not great uh, for a horror movie that the part before your villain shows up uh, is your favorite part. But um, also it's, if you hadn't seen the first two, this is a very strange movie. Yeah. Um, So it kind of starts off with this, you know, this character who is clearly your villain of the piece, at least before you meet Leo's dad, like he's clearly the villain, this guy who like runs the apartment complex and is like out to get everybody and treats everyone like garbage is, you know, a, a huge, huge stereotype. And as a fan of horror movies, it's the beginning of this feels like, oh, these are villains that are punishing the wicked, right? Right. Which you get in a lot of horror movies. I mean, there's a very weird morality, especially to like 70s and 80s horror movies. Like, you know, if you have sex, if you drink, blah, 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 all this stuff. And it starts off with like, oh, and then this bad guy gets killed. That's okay. Maybe it's that kind of movie. And then it just kind of denigrates to the point that like kind of whoever's in the way, whoever's closest. And I was just like, I maybe I'm expecting too much of a movie like this, but I like I wanted it to have some sort of like actual narrative structure to what these characters are. Like, I know they're like killing machines and kind of unstoppable, but like why set it up with this like evil character getting his comeuppance if the rest of the movie is just going to be like innocent kids and people in this in danger uh, for doing nothing. It's a, it's an odd choice to me. Uh, Yeah. I can see where you're coming from. Uh, But where I'm definitely the first person to take notes on critters, you might be the first person trying to put some meaning on it like that. Probably. (laughs) Uh, I definitely get it. Cause like the eighties, you know, they they had a lot of fantastic horror movies that might've been even dismissed at the time as you know simple popcorn flicks you know now Mm -hmm. we have people writing thesis uh statements about some of these films uh you know linking them to paranoia political paranoia of the time and and other elements like that sure Uh, so it's kind of natural to go back to a movie like this after so many you know decades and say oh well maybe there was some subtext here maybe there was a theme and i really don't think there was with fear of the unknown you know the (laughs) aliens coming up no no they're just they're just giant balls of teeth i mean it's just Like, <laughs> I, I do think it's amusing, though, that the first time we got the Sonic the Hedgehog sort of spin up on uh, mm. on screen was in a Critters movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I actually noticed that, too. I was watching this. I'm like, this looks familiar. Huh. This is not what I expected. And it's so interesting to watch these movies now, because as I mentioned, like seeing the you know, the trailers as a kid and hearing about them, it looks so scary as a, you know, it was like a 10 year old or whatever. It looked really scary. And I watch it now and I'm like, this is very silly. Like even for 
the the type of movie it is yeah i did still keep watching this being like oh this is this is just silliness i don't know if i need to pay attention to this like yeah you know to call it a b version of gremlins is an insult to gremlins like this is like a like a g version of, yeah. of gremlins like it's not as interesting it's not even as scary as something like gremlins i think you know the spike is a much scarier character than any of the critters and i i also found myself wishing i wish some of the critters were distinguishable from one another instead of all kind of the same right. all doing the exact same thing because then like it's a movie that wants to have a build Right. right. Um, so it starts essentially starts at under the wheels of a car, starts on the ground floor in the basement with this evil character and then works its way up right. to the roof. Right. It's it's literally a build and it climbs. Um, but because none of these critters are any different from one another, there's no real sense of there should be in any horror movie, whether you're taking it seriously or not, there should be a sense of victory by the right. end. Right. Uh, like you're building and the sh- and just like in an action movie, the set pieces get bigger and bigger and the release from that should be huge. And this movie just kind of stops like yeah. eventually it just kind of is over and you're kind of grateful, uh, but not in a way where you're like, wow, that was exhilarating. Right. Instead, it's just kind of like, yeah, that was 85 minutes of my life. I'm never getting back. <laughs> like, OK, I'm glad that's over. Uh, and I feel like, you know, they would need to change a lot of things to make this a good horror movie, right? right? A lot of things. But one very simple thing is just not making every single creature the same. Cause if every creature is the same, why would I keep watching after the first 20 minutes? Right. And I think that's, that's something the first two movies handled uh, interestingly. Um, yeah. And there, there are subtle differences with the creatures. They do a piss poor job of uh, highlighting it though. There's the one that's, uh, you know, been stained by the bleach and then there's the one sure. who, who eats a bit more. And then there's the one who's always just sort of watching the others. But I mean, I know this because I've seen this movie maybe three times, you know? <laughs> right. And, right. you know, in the, in the first movie though, the, the, the critters, the crites, they were growing or there was one that was growing. And I remember mm, right. it, it had its arm pop out of the side of a dresser and it was like a human sized arm. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah. I remember that. Uh-huh. And, you know, I had forgot that until the recap in this movie. And it, it was kind of interesting that they chose to show that, but right. they didn't have a similar. <laughs> don't, don't show me something thing. cool that you're not yeah. going to do. <laughs> and in the second movie, all, all the critters, they would uh, latch onto each other and form that big, you know, all ball right. of teeth mm-hmm. that would just rolled over the whole town. So in, in both of those other movies, they had an escalation of stakes where it was like, you right. know, this is getting crazier by the minute if we don't do something. And even my little brother, he looked over at me. He said, like, wasn't there something that they would do in the other ones? Like, wasn't it getting worse towards the end? He's like, there's just four or five of these things. Right. And then well, they just die and it's over. I also think the setting of the first two just helps it. Even if you didn't have, you know, the arm and the giant ball of teeth and all that stuff, it just feels scarier and more expansive because it is right. It's an entire town at risk, not like six people. Like granted, nobody wants to see these. I'm hopefully nobody (laughs) wants to see these kids die. Like they are in danger, but like there's a difference between a handful of people in an apartment building in danger and like the safety of an entire small town. Yeah, like that feel. And it also feels like if they 
if they destroy that town, what happens next? Where do they go from there? Does it get right. bigger and bigger and bigger? And instead, like, if you're going to make a movie with sequels, don't make it smaller. Right. You never, this is, <laughs> so this is always my, my issue with one of your favorite franchises, the Star Wars franchise, is they continue to shrink the world, yeah. right? They tell the same stories, the same family over and over again, when there's literally a galaxy of stories to be told. And it's yeah. the same thing here. Like you don't start with a town and then go to an apartment building. Right. right. You can go the other way. Yeah, absolutely. You can go the other way. Or if you start with a, with a little village like you have there, then have them, you know, go to a little bit bigger town where maybe they wouldn't get noticed by the police right away. And then they would grow and grow and grow. And there'd be some real danger there. Right. Whereas this is just like it's and it's a tough balance. Right. Like to give them the creators a little bit of credit here, uh, which is probably the only time I'll do that in this entire episode. But uh, comedy horror is tough. Right. It's a really, really difficult balance. Every once in a while, there is one that does it perfectly. Uh, Gremlins is the version of that, right? When you're talking right. about a comedy, comedy horror creature feature type movie, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, but to find that sweet spot, it's really tough because you want it to be funny. Right. But if it's too funny, then it's not dangerous. And right. if it's too dangerous, then you're not laughing anymore. So there is a you got to walk a real thin line. And this oh, one yeah. just like misses it by by a long shot. Like there is it doesn't really it's never it's never funny enough when it's trying to be right. right? The, the the things that made me laugh about this movie are, were when I'm saying to myself, wow, what a piece of shit this movie is. <laughs> not like, oh, that's really clever. Like I kept wanting a moment, obviously keep going back to gremlins because that's the easiest comparison base. Right. But I wanted a moment like the microwave moment or the right. blender moment. That whole kitchen sequence yeah. is one of the greatest horror comedy sequences ever filmed. Right. Uh, I actually might be my favorite in that, in that particular genre. And this never really, I mean, I guess one of them gets kicked. I mean, that's, <laughs> that's as close as we get. And I'm like, they had to be fair. They had they had the scene with the flare. She sticks the flare down the thing's throat, and he's like, yeah. you know, illuminated from the inside. I, yeah, but is I, that is that funny or is that like a cool like lighting a, yeah, moment? It's just, right? it's just a cool moment, right? And then, yeah, and you're right. Like it, yeah. to be fair, that is a nice little moment, yeah. but it's not. It's it's not euphoric. It's not fun it's not like yeah that's so cool like the microwave moment is a cool moment. you see that thing explode and go up against the glass it's friggin' cool oh, and yeah. this is just like ugh. i think eh, it just never gets there it is very true you're very yeah 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 <laughs> but i think the the one moment because i was also like gauging my brother's response to the whole thing sure and the one moment that he actually laughed out loud at was where the the girl says to the old the the old folks they said do you have a gun here i got a great civil war pistol I used to have a frame for it got no powder how about a big knife how about a meat cleaver dear <laughs> oh, that's a good moment yeah 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 <laughs> and i was like i laughed he laughed and then at the end you finally see one of these things get chopped clean in half and like, yeah was- I, and frankly uh that couple Maybe, maybe the best part of the movie, maybe the most enjoyable, like the, you know, the old, the old kook with his time life books about everything crazy that happens. I like, I like that, like, okay, there's someone who actually knows what's going on and no one's going to listen to him. I like that. I like that trope in science fiction and horror movies like that really works. 
Um, and you know, the nice old lady with a meat cleaver, who doesn't love that? That's, that's yeah. really enjoyable. That's really fun. And it's one of the few adults that when they're interacting with our lead, our lead girl here, Annie, uh-huh. yeah. you feel that they truly care about her, that there is yeah, a, yeah, there's a sincerity behind that. There's an actual love behind that. With the dad, and I get what the movie's trying to do with the dad. I really, really do. But with the dad, like, what a piece of shit. Like, he just doesn't pay, like, I'm supposed to care <laughs> about this guy who doesn't pay attention to his kids. Yeah. And, like, the only reason he has a change of heart by the end is that everyone almost dies. Like, that's what it takes. Like, yeah. I wish there was a moment about halfway through the attack where he, you know, held his kids and was like, and like really was a dad. Yeah. Cause then yeah. I think it has much more of an impact when it happens when like everyone's safe now and the paramedics are here and all that good stuff. Then it's like, yeah, well you got to wrap it up. So of course you say that, yeah. but everything before that, like, you're just like, you know, the, his, his biggest moment is being pissed. Cause the TV went out. Like that's your, <laughs> What a what a garbage father. Like there are a lot of bad dads yeah. in TV and movies, but this one, like, not like he's the worst dad in history, because there are many he doesn't beat his kids, he doesn't yeah. do terrible things to them, but like very apathetic, yes. you know. Yeah, yeah, that's the perfect word. Completely apathetic. And you know what's not exciting on screen? Apathy. apathy. Yeah. It sucks, man. Like, I don't want to <laughs> see that. I could go down the street and see that. I don't need apathy in a horror movie. This is an intense situation. You should have a real reaction to what's going on around you. And you never really get it. As bad as some of the child acting can be in this movie, I'll take that over the dad any day. Oh, yeah. Because he's just boring. Yeah. It's like uh, you got your paycheck, I guess. I mean, not much, but they they tranquilize him. But I mean, as you say, that uh, was. And could you tell the difference? No. Not I at mean, all. it was, it was yeah. one of the, I think it was one of the ways of trying to remove the competent adults from the situation. Right. But like, again, even the first movie, even the second movie, they had these moments where, you know, the parental figures or the adult figures had to step up and sincerely try and protect their own. It was very intense. And even, you know, I was doom scrolling through Twitter through a couple of the drier scenes and I just hear my brother say, wow, this is a loser dad. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like, yeah. yeah. 100% true. 100% true. Yeah. So I think what would be more interesting than continuing in circles about how fucking bad this movie is, is I want to ask you a question because, sure. like, I am loath to give my friends compliments because I hate making them feel good. But, right. right. But you do have a very interesting mind when it comes to, you know, headcanon and sequels that you would write. Do you have a Critters 3 in your head? I mean, it's going to be better than this, whatever it is. So I'm interested to hear, like, what would would Night Owl Joe do with the Critters franchise? A franchise that you grew up with, that you enjoyed, at least up until this movie. So where's an interesting place to go from the end of Critters 2? Okay, so do I have a budget or is it eight dollars? You have let's say you have like a a Blumhouse budget, okay, right? Okay. They give you like a million, two million. Right. But you gotta stay, you know, relatively small. So no, okay. you know, it can't be like, you know, critters take Manhattan. It can't be right. big and right. broad. But there's room for some effects and some interesting stuff and maybe casting one well-known actor not okay. to you know okay. that kind okay. of thing so so here off the top of my head i've never thought about this before but just right now um 
another alien species uses Earth as a dumping ground for its dangerous, uh, you know, trash or aliens to take a page out of Terror Vision's book. And the bounty hunters who have to come to clean it up realize that they're outmatched and they have to weaponize the Krites against mm. the other creatures. Okay. So it's kind of like a, you know, a monster versus monster throwdown. And you have maybe one big monster stalking through the streets of the small town. It's sounding very Suicide Squad like, right? <laughs> right. You have to like strap something to the Krites in case they attack the wrong thing. That'd you got to like yeah, redirect them, taller. little shots or yeah. something. Yeah. <laughs> I like that. I mean, that could be fun because at least yeah. then, like we were talking about, it would start to get expansive by the yeah, end because you exactly. have, you know, I mean, a very small version of this, right? But you have Kong versus Godzilla, right? You have monster against monster by the end. Mm-hmm. I like that. I yeah. think that just the thought of this movie is a hundred times better than Critters 3. Oh, yeah. So well done. <laughs> and that's just off the top of your head. I'm yeah. impressed. Be ready for this. I'm going to do this to you all the time because oh, if you were to ask it. me that question, I'd be like, I don't know, fucking cancel it. We're done. We're out. <laughs> oh critters three i just i was not ready joe for how bad this was like i really thought okay i like the first two well enough this will be maybe a step down but fine but this like i mean they really just took a big step off a cliff uh with this movie and it is it's a rough one and you're gonna get that (laughs) i think you're gonna get that with horror sequels too because sometimes horror franchises become money grabs after like the first one or two like okay we made a good movie and now we can fire anyone good uh and just cash in yeah right we don't need to bring back Jamie Lee Curtis, for instance, and we could just go with Michael Myers and it's good enough, right? We could kill everybody off from the first movie and just start fresh and people will be pleased. And the sad part about this, Joe, is that in general, the shitty producers are right because you know yeah. what movie all what movies always do well in theaters? horror movies yeah because you know teenagers will go see them whether they are good or bad uh and so will i because i'm an idiot um i will go as well um and so like i could see nine bad horror movies in a row and i guarantee you i'm their opening day for number 10 so i have a part of the problem but i think it's just it's a part of the genre unfortunately you know there's been a push in the last decade or so for quote unquote for like high quality movies, quote unquote, elevated horror, um, which I know upsets a lot of people, but I, I'm somewhere weirdly in between on that. Like, I think, I think it is a pompous term, but I also think there's a difference between the Babadook and uh, unfriended. I think they're different kinds of movies, right? Uh, You know, one of them is much more high-minded and to be fair, I'd like both of those movies. So say what you will. Um, But, you know, especially back then in the 80s and 90s, this was like, and especially because back then home video was such a lucrative market. Right. Um, whereas now streaming, it's all very different and hard to tell where the money comes from and where it goes. But back then you could release a straight to video movie as long as people, as long as you put a critter or crate, whatever, uh, on the cover and people are going to watch people like little Joe, the night owl <laughs> will travel across town, <laughs> wasting his forefather's gas and, and time and hard work 
to find critters on friggin' VHS of all things. Yep. That was me. Um, but yeah, so I, you raised some interesting points, but I think, you know, I, I'm very generous in my feelings toward this movie. It, it's more of like, you know, I feel bad for the movie. I don't, I wouldn't even say that it's, you know, and again, I'm, I'm straining my credibility as a critic here, but I wouldn't say that it's a bad movie. Do you it have has, any of that? Yeah, credibility no. as a critic? Not, not now. You, not now. Okay, okay, it went, okay, out okay. The, went out the window. Yeah, but, what little you had just flew <laughs> right out the window. Okay, fair enough. I, I've seen movies a hundred times worse than this, you know, surprisingly. And also, there are part three, and they're so bad, I would not have asked you under any circumstances to sit through it for this podcast. Okay, let me let me ask you a simple question, sure. Joe. Just because there are movies worse than it, does this mean this movie isn't a bad movie? No, but I think there's a difference. What between... about this? What 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 could you do to this movie to make it bad? If this isn't bad, okay. what is? But okay, I'll I'll step outside the traditional good bad you know dichotomy. Okay. I'll say this movie was harmless. Okay. Yeah. 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 No, I think that's totally fair. I, it's not like there are movies that I have watched, which will remain nameless, uh, that I was like, I am so angry that I watched that. I don't think you have to say, I think everybody already knows, Dave. Look, look, we're not going to talk about bears and marmalade. We're not, we're not talking about that. Um, but this was a movie, as I mentioned earlier, I was kind of like, well, I'm never getting that back, but it wasn't, there's a difference to me between fuck, I'm never getting that time back. And well, I'm never getting that back. Yeah. Like it just, you know, it just went away. And uh, after this airs, I will probably never think about it again. Yeah. Like it's not, so it's a bad movie, but it's not like aggressively violently bad. Right. Where you're just like thinking about how bad it is I for think like that's weeks. Yeah. Yeah. You know, this is just yeah. like, well, that, at least it was short. Yeah, unfortunate is a good word. It's an unfortunate sequel. It's an unfortunate start to our podcast. But but here is the bright side to all this, Joe. Yes. We got nowhere to go but up. Yeah. It's good. It's I am making a proclamation, a guarantee. I don't know what movie we're watching next, but I'm guaranteeing it will be better than Critters 3. Not if it was Deathstalker three, I'll tell you that right now. That doesn't exist. I did <laughs> a movie. It is. You just no, no, no. We're gonna do movies people have seen. Okay, Joe. that's fair. We, that's fair. Do we know what we're doing for our next movie? Have we uh, chosen that? I don't. I don't think so. I'll, I'll you know, since uh, I kind of uh, put my uh, foot to the pedal on Critters three, I think I'll let you uh, pick the next hmm. one. So hmm. that uh, if Which it's bad, you can't, you can't blame huh. me for it. Yeah, that's that's true. That's very smart of you. Um, you know what? I would like to go into our kind of joint joy of the 80s right? and franchises that I know that we both enjoy. Um, so I think I think I want to go. I want to visit Henry and Henry Jr., Oh, um, okay. I think I would like to watch Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade because um, that is a movie. I'm not going to tell people what I think of it yet. Okay. okay. But that is a beloved movie right. uh, of the 80s. Is that the 80s or did it venture into the 90s? It was probably one of those uh, third parters that was in like the early, like 1990, maybe kind of like, you know, like the Lethal Weapon 3 type of thing. 
Yeah, let's see. Last Crusade. Just putting this into IMDb right now. Nope, we still made it to the 80s. 1989, okay. baby. Cool. 1989. The fact that, I mean, we'll talk about this. The fact that the special the special effects in that movie were two years before Critters 3 uh, just shows you how little money went into this movie. <laughs> so, so, yeah. So, that is what we're going to do next. We're going to attack Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Um, and we'll uh, talk about wife beater Sean Connery. It'll be great. Fantastic. (laughs) See you guys next time.